You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, and we're going to begin in verse 16. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. And if you don't have your Bible, all your uh, other reading implement, whatever it is nowadays, let's, it's on the screen as well. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are in a little series after Easter called Life After Easter. What was the point of the resurrection? What does it mean that Jesus is alive today for me and for you in our life in Los Angeles in the 21st century? What does it mean that Jesus is alive? And one of the primary reasons is in this passage. One of the profound effects of the resurrection is what we have been told is the Great Commission. The classic text that has been used by missionaries and evangelists over the last 200 years to encourage people, to get people out of their seats and go tell people about Jesus. In fact, I grew up with this at the very heart of my faith. I grew up in post-Christian England, where most of the people I knew were not Jesus followers, did not believe in Jesus, were mostly atheists. And I grew up with a great missionary mandate, urgency, to go to your friends, to go to your colleagues, to go into your schools, to go to your neighbors and tell people about Jesus. Matthew 28 was the great call, the great command. Epitomized, actually, after school, before I went to college, I took a year out which is quite common in England, less so here. And I thought, what do I do with my year? Now, all my friends who were taking the year out were gonna go travel around Europe. They had what is called a, a Eurorail pass, like for 100 bucks, you had unlimited travel around Europe on their train system. So people would do that for about six months and have a lot of fun and try not get arrested. And, and, and yet I thought, what a waste of a life. We have to go and tell people about Jesus. And so my year out was going on this missionary team where for six months we were missionaries across England and Scotland. We'd go into churches and say, hey, how can we serve you? Bring Jesus to your city. And so I found myself at 18 doing kind of odd, sincere but odd things like preaching on the streets and knocking on people's doors and awkwardly saying, do you know Jesus? I mean, it was very awkward, sincere, and desperately ineffective. And, and then for six months, we then went overseas, and I went to a beautiful country uh, that many, many of you have never been to before called Namibia. Anybody been to Namibia? Yeah, see, about three of us. 
And I, was on the, I went to a village on the very northern border of Namibia, which bordered Angola, which was a very dangerous country at the time, potentially still is in many ways. And, and I, we served a community there, this small village. We slept in tents. And then a, a, actually someone had an RV they brought in for us, a very old one. And we slept there for about four months and we were serving that local community. We were building community centers, we were doing feeding things, and it was a profound time. But it felt like this is what God's called us all to do. And I got frustrated with other people who were doing other things. It's like, how could you just go about your business when we're to go? And tell people about Jesus. I think I was quite prideful, quite arrogant. And certainly had a shallow understanding of what is known as the Great Commission. I ended up being burnt out. I ended up being demoralized with the church. That not many people had a passion for other people to do what I was doing. And burnt out and demoralized that not many people were coming to know Jesus. I didn't understand why people were not coming to Jesus when I shouted at them on the streets. <laughs> and yet, at the heart of the ministry of the risen Jesus is this so-called Great Commission. And so after many years of being demoralized and dejected by this, I rediscovered it in a deeper way, a richer way, which I want to present to you this morning as is the roadmap for all of us. Not just to sell up everything and move to Namibia. But what does it mean for us in Los Angeles to be fathers, mothers, colleagues, neighbors, and to outwork in a life-giving, joyful way the ministry of the risen Jesus in what is called the Great Commission? Now, just so you know, the Great Commission is not what Jesus called this passage. In fact, it was imposed on this passage in the 18th century by a missionary competition, people think. There's no record of any Great Commission title before the 18th century missionary movement. We think it was probably at a time where people were saying, what's the most important scriptures to send people out into mission? And someone like submitted, everyone submitted their kind of suggestions and someone su submitted this passage and gave it the title, the Great Commission, which was then adopted by the missionary movement. But let's go back a minute. And what we see with this passage, these words of Jesus, is that mission is not something we do for God. Mission is not God's command to his people. We see at the heart of this passage, mission is first and foremost who God is. Mission, firstly, is what God is doing in the world. We know this because this is King Jesus saying on a mountain in Galilee, let's go do this together. At the very end, I'm gonna be with you. And at the very beginning, he's already on mission. This is the very point. God the Father has sent God the Son to come and redeem all things. And so he is not saying to his disciples, hey guys, there's a great world to reach, go and do it. He's already in the world doing it, going, do you want to join me? Do you want to be with me in this? 
He's saying, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, look, I've already started the mission. I've already kind of done the biggest part of it, which is defeat sin, Satan, and death. I'm victorious over these things, the things that have been destroying the world. I've, I've already defeated these things. Hey, do you guys want in on this great story as we outwork it? N.T. Wright is a big quote, but worth it. N.T. Wright says this, the good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. The ancient hopes have been fulfilled, but in a way nobody imagined. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched. He has grasped the world in a new way to sort it out and fill it with his glory and justice as he always promised. But he has done this done so in a way beyond the wildest dreams of prophecy. The ancient sickness that had crippled the whole world and humans with it has been cured at last so that new life can rise up in its place. Life has come to life and is pouring out like a mighty river into the world in the form of a new power, the power of love. The good news was and is that all this has happened in and through Jesus. And that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation and that we humans, every single one of us, wherever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Do not allow yourself to be fobbed off with anything less. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is here in Los Angeles. Jesus is in your school. Jesus is in your college. Jesus is in your home. Jesus, by his spirit, is already up to something and he's going, guys, I want you to do it with me. Jesus is putting all things right. He is the missionary God. It's not something that he does part-time. It's not something he delegates to his church. It's just who he is. And therefore, mission is joining God in what he's already doing. Christopher Wright, in his great book, The Mission of God, says this. Mission is not ours. Mission is God's. Certainly, the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. Or as has been nicely put, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. This is really comforting for a young man burning out on I've got to do this for I've got to reach people because if I don't reach people that I dread the consequences. I was taking the burden onto myself, re- thinking that God is up there going, oh my gosh, I hope Gare does this. <laughs> oh my Jesus, we're in the hands of Gare right now. <laughs> and I felt that burden. I didn't have time for fun. I didn't have time for friends at times. Because it's like, oh my gosh, the eternal eternal destiny of my friends is in my hands. A lecturer at seminary, a friend, Daryl Johnson, reframed even telling Jesus as fundamentally not about our ownership, 
by defining evangelism like this. He said, evangelism is joining a conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. It's so much freer to know that mission is about saying, God, where are you working? What are you doing? I'm not forcing myself in. I'm not knocking on someone's door and say, interrupt Yellowstone and uh, can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> it is being led by the Holy Spirit and saying, God, what are you already doing? Now, that doesn't mean that we dial it back and go, it's all yours, God. I still have that same heart for people who don't know Jesus. I still look at this broken world and have a heart for the kingdom of God to come in healing and renewal and restoration. My passion has never been diluted. But the means of outworking that passion is now less about my own strength and more about listening to where I see God and seeing where I see him working. It's comforting. But it's also challenging, isn't it, to realize that, oh, mission is not one of the activities of the church. The church was made for mission. That mission isn't something I do if I do a spiritual gift and kind of a checklist and I come out with, oh, I'm a mission person. But other people are worship leaders. Other people are Bible study leaders. I happen to be a mission person. You know, the church was made for mission. To actually join the Holy Spirit in bringing his kingdom to bear. To outworking his victory in the world. Sin, Satan and death have been defeated. And therefore this world needs to be renewed because he has now all authority. And we are here to go into all of creation and bring that authority to bear. In that sense, never... Don't know if you've ever thought yourself of this way before, but you are primarily a missionary. We don't call missionaries to go away. We wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm on mission with Jesus today. To join him in my school, in my college, in my workplace, in my family. to see his kingdom come, his will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Mission begins with God. That's kind of like the who of mission. The where is really important because Jesus says, therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Two things I had to clarify here in my own understanding of this text was first of all, go. Is it an imperative or is it a participle? Let me explain what that means. So all the translations go, go, like it's a command, go. And yet if you've done first year Greek at any seminary and you're looking at your Greek of this and you're going, go, is not in Greek a command, it's not an imperative, it's a participle, which many people go, actually it's been mistranslated. It shouldn't be go, it should be, hey, as you're, as you're leaving, as you're going, you should make disciples. Yeah. Problem is, with every first 
year Greek students realize this, that everything they're taught in the first year generally is wrong. <laughs> and there's a reason why the experts have translated a participle as an imperative. But let me tell you this, any internet search on Go, Make Disciples, has first year Greek students saying, it's not a command, it's a, it's a participle, it's not a command, God isn't commanding. No, he is. He is. Because in some instances, and you go back and look at second-year Greek and third-year Greek, that's the way you do double commands. You don't do command, command, indicative, indicative. You do participle, indicative, and so they're both commands. So <laughs> it's why we don't do theology on the internet. So, so it is a command. Go. Right? But believe me, if you go away right now and Google, you have all these people going, it's not a command. And every single scholar got it wrong when they translated the Bible. Uh, but they didn't. All right, so go. God is telling you to go. Like, this is a job to do, right? But where? And we've kind of gone, go into all nations, and we've kind of linked the two unwisely. And they've gone, go means to leave. Go into the nations, right? So missionary means I got to leave. I got to pack my bags and go to kind of the far distant place I never want to go. Kansas or somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> or, I don't know, I've never been there, so I've heard it's beautiful, but, but it's to leave, right? And it kind of perpetuates this misunderstanding of we are missionaries here. That we pray for people to be missionaries when they leave. And they've got all day long, that's their job now is to bring Jesus to that mission field. Because we've, we forget that go, make disciples of all nations, your nation is included in all nations. Jesus spells this out later in Acts chapter one. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, like here, and in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. And guess what, 99% of people are called to be missionaries here. Very few are called to go elsewhere. We know this, right, because the Apostle Paul was called to go elsewhere, and he planted churches everywhere, but he didn't say to all these Christians that he was like, planting, he didn't say these churches, he just said, now leave, leave Ephesus. Oh, great church in Corinth, leave, go. No, he kept going back to those churches because they were staying to reach their city with the kingdom of God. We have been called to Los Angeles as missionaries. And you're a missionary here either because God brought you here or you were born here. Either way, God has placed you here to be a missionary in this city. You are called to go into where he has placed you. And for me, that was a revelation, not only, oh, my workplace then is my mission field. My family is my mission field. My coffee shop is my mission field. My cubicle and my floor is my mission field. But it also went beyond that because go and make disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, I had to realize that it wasn't also not just leave 
leave my geography, but it also didn't mean leave my vocation. That this feels like, ooh, this feels like a full-time pastor's job. If I'm really excited and passionate, I should go and make disciples of all nations by leaving my job. Surely I'm passionate about it, and therefore if I'm super passionate about it, then that means I should be a pastor. I don't know why we think real passion for Jesus means we should come out of the secular workplace and hang out with Christians all day long as a pastor. It's weird, isn't it? The more excited you are, the more people encourage you to get out of the mission field and go to home office, right? It was really hard for me to, come, to become a pastor, really hard. Not only do I have a, I have a really low view of pastors, because I've been hurt by them, right? I've been hurt by them. I used to say to people, those who can't do teach, those who can't teach, preach. <laughs> right? And I, it's a really low view of pastors. But God dealt, I had to repent of that. <laughs> but I also thought, actually, I'm already a pastor. I'm already a mission, missionary. I'm already, my ministry is with the people I'm working with. In fact, most of Jesus' mission was not in the temple. It was hanging out with normal people. And so I want to congratulate you this morning of going, the more passionate you are, the more called you are, the more equipped you are, is because God wants to use you in your mission field. There's only a few people he calls into home base. And that is then, in Ephesians 5, he says, our job is to equip you for your mission. And we, it's interesting, isn't it? We're so church-centric. Even that verse, I'm going off track now, sorry about this, but even that, in Ephesians, it talks about God gave the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to do the works of ministry. Have you ever heard that? We often go, oh, that means that the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers is to equip the people to do the works of the church. Like that's called lay ministry. That's kind of every member ministry. That means we should have people doing community groups. We should have people like running the volunteer teams as if that's what that point is. As opposed to, hang on a minute, no, I think it means apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, to equip the church to go out into the world and do their ministry. The, the zenith, the pinnacle of your ministry is not being a volunteer leader in the parking lot. That's not ministry, that's like helping. That's because we need help, right? It is ministry, but do you know what I mean? It's just like, no. What we're called to do is equip you to be in your marketplace to have prophetic words for your colleagues. To actually, with your neighbor in your cubicle to go, you're sick. I believe in God who heals. Can I pray for you? Right? It's to actually be in the position of influence in your company and go, you know what, we're not going to do things that way. I believe generosity and grace is the better way. Trust me, we'll have double-digit income if we do this rather than lie and steal. Believe me, trust me, God will bless this, right? This is ministry. Now, to all our volunteers, thank you. (laughs) 
Thank you. But we do both, right? We do both. We do both. I've lost where I am. Where has God placed you? Where has he placed you? In his sovereignty of knowing exactly who you are, where has he placed you knowing you're the best person he has to reach the people around you, the industry around you? Thirdly, I had to realize in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, sadly did not say, therefore go and make converts of all nations. It's much easier to make converts or people who had a belief, or people who made a decision for Jesus, right? Disciples is different, but disciples is where the exciting thing is. And as someone who I desperately want people to come to know Jesus, I have constantly to realize Jesus did not say go and get hands raised. But to go and make disciples. Because here's the thing, disciples transform society in the name of Jesus. That's his evangelism, that's his transformation strategy, is to put disciples of Jesus in every corner of the world. But we've reduced, we've kind of made a different class of Christian, and there's lots of reasons why, we kind of thought the end of the world was coming in the 60s and 70s, we kind of thought, oh no, panic, we need people to make a decision. And so we'd stopped talking about discipleship and just got people to believe. But the Bible even says, look, even the devil believes in Jesus. This is not about belief. It includes belief. But you can sincerely believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave, and that he's now king of the universe, and reject him. You can do that. So Jesus said, repent and believe. Repent means stop following Caesar and others as your God, but follow me as your God. I am now your king, I am your God. You trust me with your life, because you realize that yes, I am alive, and you want now to follow me. That's why a disciple, I don't, John Mark Comer is very exciting that he's coming to be our teacher in residence here, and he'll talk a lot more about what it means to be a disciple. Far better than I can. And every time I've tried, I've just copied his sermons. (laughs) But the point is that to be a disciple is three things, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. That's a disciple. And when you realize that's what a disciple is, that's when you realize, oh, God's missionary methodology is discipleship. Because when you are like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did in your marketplace, in your home, then the kingdom of God advances. So actually, missionary building is through discipleship. That's why Dallas Willard says this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So not only have you been placed as a missionary in your marketplace, in your home, in your school, 
but you're placed there to be a disciple of Jesus, to model a different way of living, to be in the clubs and go, I don't hook up. That's not what a disciple does. I want to model a better way of life. To be in your marketplace and go, I don't do business that way. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I do things differently. And I, trust me, I think this will work out better. Do you know what I mean? That's how culture's transformed. It's disciples in the mission field. Now I've got a little chart here called the four fronts of mission, which is, could be called the four fronts of, of disciples. This is where you could operate as a disciple, doing the things of Jesus, evangelism, cultural renewal, mercy ministries and social transformation. Then some are called to go and plant, to plant new churches. And at Vintage, what does this look like? Next slide. It's like, well, evangelism, you're told just to be a disciple, to tell others about Jesus on Alpha. Parenting, I mean, that is right there, telling your kids about Jesus, your friends, your colleagues. Cultural renewal. Well, living out the culture of heaven, renewing your workplace, your family, your home, your neighborhood, heaven on earth. Mercy ministries and social transformation. Partner with, we partner with local and global agencies to practically love people in the name of Jesus. And then church planting, we're heading out to go. Some of us are called to go and start new churches. But this is not about being a missionary and then some are disciples. You can only be on mission because you're a disciple. Otherwise, frankly, you're not much use, right? Because you're not being like Jesus and you're not saying the things that Jesus did and you're not actually doing the things that Jesus did. He'll use you where you're at as you're growing, but the more you're like Jesus, the more effective you'll be in mission. And that's why he then adds two other verbs or actually participles to this command. He says, Teach, baptizing them and teaching them. Both of these, as I wrap up here, both of these are surprising to me because I never really thought of them in terms of the Great Commission. It was like, okay, that's the after bit. Baptizing them, sure, converts get baptized. But that's not the full rich meaning of the word baptism in the New Testament. Baptism is an individual declaration of I am now a follower of Jesus, and I, when I'm coming out of the water, I'm coming into a family. It's adoption into a church community, which is why we don't ever do private baptisms here at Vintage. It's because it's a family event. It's kind of like being adopted into the church family. And that's why, therefore, discipleship is needed to be done in the church context. You will never be a disciple if you just believe, listen to a few podcasts, play worship music in the car, and then hang out over brunch on Sundays with your friends. It's the church community, baptizing them. You've got discipleship making happens when you baptize people into the local family. Because you need encouragement. You need accountability. You need care. You need support. Which is why for me, when it comes to generosity even, I say to people, look, please give to worldwide mission. But do you realize that the whole reason why worldwide mission can happen is because there's local churches making disciples. So don't forget to give to your local church. And then teaching them. We're gonna land the plane here. I thought for many years it said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them 
Everything I've commanded you, everything I've taught, you teach them. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say, teach them everything I've taught you. I think that would make sense. But Jesus kind of realizes the teaching isn't the problem. Because we can look at Jesus' teaching and go, man, I really like his teaching. We should forgive others. We should, we should love our enemies. We should tell others about Jesus. We absolutely, I can see why it'd be really good to invite someone to Alpha. I can absolutely see why it would be good to pray for my neighbor who's sick. Absolutely, Jesus, your teaching is amazing. But Jesus said that's not the problem. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus seems to have a great insight into human hearts right now to go, the issue is not the teaching. The issue is the doing. That we have a problem where we go away from Sunday go, that's amazing teaching when John Mark comes. <laughs> right? We'll go away going, wow, wow. If, if everyone did that, it would be amazing. But we don't do it. Now that's not a guilt thing, that's me going, there's something in my heart which goes, I ought not to just be taught about the teachings. Jesus goes, we have to teach people what it means to obey. Like that is a muscle that has to be developed. We're gonna teach people to obey. And in the Protestant world in particular, that's really hard because obedience has been the great enemy of grace so often, right? That it's like, oh no, don't talk about obedience because then it will take away from the complete work of Jesus on the cross. But of course, obedience is not opposed to grace. Because Jesus doesn't say, obey in order for me to love you. You're accepted by grace. But then you're brought into a family on mission and guess what, you have an authority called all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, do what I say, right? Do what I, I don't say to my kids, look, you're only a member of our family if you do what I say. But what I have said at times, you're part of my family, therefore do what I say, <laughs> right? That's not opposed to you're here by love. Are you, we're not born into this family by anything you did, no, but I'm still going to tell you what to do at times. Are you going to trust me and obey? There is an authority structure. And Jesus is saying at the very start, there is an authority structure in the kingdom of God. And part to following Jesus is actually wrestling with the fact of, am I actually going to surrender my will to his? And here's the reason why. Because mission will always be uncomfortable. Mission will always be a bit scary. And mission will always be opposed by what's left of sin, Satan. Have you ever realized that if you're inviting someone to Alpha, it's not easy? Or your friend is sick at work. Have you ever thought, man, this, I, don't, I feel uncomfortable to say, can I pray for you? Or it feels to take a stand in your workplace for, hey, I want to do things in a slightly different way. It's not easy. Jesus realizes that if we only ever waited for mission to be easy, we'd never do it. So he took that problem out of the equation and just said, I'm commanding you. 
I'm actually thankful for that. It takes away my whole, but do I feel the Lord's calling me to do this? Do I, you know, Lord, I put a fleece out. Lord, you know, tell me, should I? No. He says, look, I'm going to take that off the table. Just do it. Have you ever looked at that with your kids? Have you got kids or your parents ever did that to you? Don't know what to do, don't know what to do, don't know what to do. It's like, oh, I'm tired of this. Do it. I think there is a part of that with Jesus. Or we just have to do it. And the great news is he uses our obedience. Even though we go, this is scary. Even though I don't know the results of this. He uses our obedience. In fact, that's what partnership is. That whether you're in your home, telling your kids about Jesus, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're serving at the Salvation Army, Jesus will use your obedience to do what you can do. And he will exponentially bring his power and authority to explode what you do in great fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. But he'll start with your obedience. The great illustration of this is Moses at the Red Sea. He walks up to the Red Sea and he can't get across it. He's got loads of people about to be killed if they don't get across it and he can't. So God says to Moses, just raise your hand, lift up your staff, and I will do the rest. I wonder if Moses thought, dude, this is ridiculous. You know what? But I've learned by now all he's asking for me is obedience, and I leave the outcomes to Jesus. That is what mission is about. Inviting someone to Alpha. I don't know if they're going to come. That's up to Jesus. T- talking to my kids about Jesus. I don't know their future, but he'll use my obedience. Being in social justice, social transformation, leave the outcomes to God. We are just to be his obedient people. And at the very end, he says, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. And this is part one of this sermon. Because part two is Jesus' warning, I'm going to be with you, but don't go without me. That's why he said in Acts chapter one, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us by his spirit, because we need his spirit. And next week, my friend Dan Rounsen is gonna come and talk about what it means to be a missional people empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because he says, you can't do the things of Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. And so much of the church has been scared of the Holy Spirit for good reason. Because things have been called the Holy Spirit that have not been the Holy Spirit. But we need to be hungry for what Jesus is saying. To reach the city for Jesus. To see heaven fill the streets of our city. Our first prayer needs to be, fill us with your presence. Let's stand together. I'd love our prayer ministry team to come up. By the way, if you, we're going to pray. And if you want prayer for any reason as we sing this song just come up for prayer if you've never done that before just come forward we've got a couple of people who will direct you to someone to pray for we kind of pray guys and guys girls and girls but just come forward and we've got a couple of people to help you find someone to pray for pray with well let's close our eyes as we come to worship Jesus we thank you you are the risen king the risen king 
all authority in heaven and earth. And we pray that you would use us in our obedience to do, to see your kingdom come in incredible ways. You've placed us. And in our brokenness, in our weakness, you fill us with your power. And so as we worship you now, our hearts cry out, Lord, come by your spirit that we may see our city thriving and overflowing with the kingdom of God. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.